0: This is the O'Reilly Bots Podcast. I'm John Brunner,
1: And I'm Pete Skamarock.
0: We talk a lot on this program about uh, individual bots, consumer bots, bots that have one-on-one conversations with individual users. But uh, Slack is a really interesting platform because it diverges from you know the common use cases that we often wind up talking about. Where we talk about consumer bots, Slack is a platform that's oriented toward the workplace. So people develop a lot of workplace bots for Slack. And where we often think of bots as having one-on-one conversations with users, Slack being kind of a a group chat context encourages bots that consider group conversations. So uh, with us today to talk about Slack, talk about some interesting things that are coming out of Slack, and some design considerations that take into account these uh, aspects of workplace bots and uh, bots that can accommodate multi-part conversations is Amir Shavat. He's the director of developer relations at Slack and is also the author of the forthcoming O'Reilly book, Designing Bots, which is in early release right now. Good to have you on, Amir. Thank you for having me, John. So um, before we get started, what is your O'Reilly animal? Oh, it's a Siberian husky. Is there a backstory? So, yes, there is a backstory. When you
2: have to choose your animal, they give you a list of animals that you can't pick because they've already been picked. (laughs) And I I spent a weekend understanding which animals are more verbose than than others. (laughs) Um, And what you should do is Google... Siberian Husky say I love you after the podcast okay. to see why I chose uh Siberian Husky but after that like it's it's a no brainer once you
0: google that <laughs> nice so a chatty a chatty animal for a book on chats exactly it's the most verbose dog so we saw a big announcement from Slack last week we're recording this on February 6th uh last week Slack announced the new Enterprise Grid, a service from Slack. This is oriented toward really huge companies. Can you sort of describe what it is and what's important about it from the perspective of developers?
2: Yeah. So the product is called uh, Slack Enterprise Grid. Um, It's, as you said, it's taking Slack into the enterprise and it addresses uh, different complexity that enterprise have. Enterprise have multiple teams. Enterprise need to have Teams, big teams, communicating between each other. Enterprise have a lot of people, so this product and enterprise has c- um, compliance and security constraints. Um, so this product comes to address all of these major things. Are like there's unlimited workspaces, unlimited teams.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, there's the concept of a shared channel where mo- where teams can communicate it over a channel. Mm-hmm. There's administrative controls, and there's interestingly um, HIPAA. And Finra uh, support.
0: So more interesting use cases around uh, fintech and um, and healthcare. Are there kind of usage patterns uh, that developed along with Slack in the context of the the startups, the smaller companies that we think of as using Slack that don't really scale to the big companies, where you can't have you know a hundred thousand people who work for Bank of America on Slack hanging out in like the uh, you know the random channel? yeah so from a user perspective there needs to be a lot of understanding about how to use slack uh
2: in a in the context of a very big uh company right um this product supports up to f- half a million users mm-hmm. and if they were all in the random channel the random channel would be horrible experience yes, sure. <laughs> So, so the key <laughs> right. is how do you so from a user perspective it needs to you need to understand how to build it from a bot perspective you actually need to support a lot of users right mm-hmm. so um Bot builders need to understand that they have the opportunity to build for these enterprises, but they also need to test for scale, for example. Mm -hmm. So they could be in a multi-party conversations with uh, thousands of people. They also need to support the special features. So if a bot is in a shared channel and it only installed in one team, then the bot will get messages from members who are not uh, in his team, in Hmm. its team so that means the bot could receive messages from unknown users uh, or initially unknown users and we created a set of apis uh, that's that help developers support that so we update our our documentation to help developers uh, support the grid Um, and it's a big opportunity with a few uh, edge cases that need to be addressed
1: could you say a little bit more about that that case so that's kind of fascinating one of the things that's been that's really interesting with Slack and that was appealing early on, I think, to bot developers was this notion that you could gain access to an audience um, that is traditionally more difficult. So for enterprise products, um, getting distribution, getting your app or your bot out uh, to spread across. In in a way, Slack did that itself, right? They were like very viral, rapid growth and, and percolated throughout companies. And then it seems like that's one of the advantages of slack uh, to a new developer is it's this nervous system within a company and now you're taking these nervous systems and you're linking them together so you've got this hive mind across a large company so how how did how if if you have a bot and it's in one of these shared channels that crosses the streams between uh, previously unconnected teams what is the right protocol or behavior for a bot um, when someone from another team that hasn't installed that bot interacts with it
2: so uh, you're totally right. I think the key, I used to work in uh, Google Play and they're acquiring a user would be acquiring a single user. Here, when somebody installed your bot into a team, you get the entire team. So the entire team is success. You, you only need to install the bot once and then the entire team has access to that bot. So it's installed once and you get all the members. So that's that's a very big upside from that perspective. What happens in... in um in enterprise is that one team can install the bot while the other team doesn't have that bot installed. And now these two teams have a shared channel and they could invite that bot to that, to that shared channel. Uh, the key is that the bot has what might have full access to the team that it's installed on. It might not have access to everything on the team that it's not installed from security reasons, right? Mm-hmm. That makes mm-hmm. sense. So the only thing, the only pattern that you need to address is that what is that sit- dat- level of data that I have on all the members of that channel? Some of them could be m- members of my local team and then I have more access. Well, the rest might have limited, inf- ma- limited information. And that's okay. As long as you know and not expect that you have all the information on all of the teams, you could have a function- functional bot in a use case that is super interesting. Right. In the use case, we're like, hey, this is a shared channel between marketing and sales. So you can have mm-hmm. a bot that facilitate that use case. Or this is a between product and edge. So you can have a lot of interesting use cases between big teams that once you, you, know, once you address those edge cases, uh, could facilitate amazing things in big enterprises.
0: There's an interesting dynamic that could play out in the enterprise where you could possibly see bot adoption even faster than you do in smaller more agile groups even though you think of kind of the smaller companies as being a bit faster moving and adopting this kind of thing enterprises come with this kind of mandate approach to it so if the if the IT department or if a manager says all right everyone you have to file your Tps reports through this bot in slack now suddenly 10,000 people are are using your bot immediately whereas uh, you know usually the uptick is is kind of more like uh, hey everyone, we've installed this uh, fun bot in in Slack that'll make it a little bit easier to read our analytics or query the database or whatever. People go about it informally, but the the enterprises might actually wind up kind of forcing people into bots much more effectively than uh, uh, the normal process would.
2: I, I totally agree, and the key is like think of what is the alternative, right? You either use the bot, which is hopefully a delightful experience, or you use the internal cumbersome, potentially cumbersome um, enterprise solution, right? Mm-hmm. So on stage last week, the um, representative from Concours said, hey, we know that not everyone loves to, do, to go into Concour every day. That's not what they like, the first thing they want to go in in the morning.
3: Mm-hmm. But
2: mm-hmm. Talking, talking to the bot m- might be much more delightful. So having a, a delightful experience in enterprise is a big, big opportunity, in my opinion, and, and you're right, at the end of the day, if a, if an admin decides that this is the software that everybody uses, everybody mm. actually uses your bot every day. So it's not a nice to have, it's a must have right, uh, in right. enterprises.
1: There's something else interesting, which is what you're describing, the scenario of shared teams between different organizations. That is an enterprise problem, right? So you get siloing, you have custom systems to get access to something in another team could take weeks, right? So. In a way, having this conduit and having an area where you can cut through some of that. So it, instead of juggling email and scheduling and taking two weeks, if you have this like live mixing layer, it's like a neutral zone between the bureaucracy of the different teams almost, right?
2: Yeah. And it's, it facilitates communication, right? Different enterprises uh, roll up in different f- forms, right? You could have a, uh, an enterprise that does everything in a single team and you can have enterprise that uses team on, uh, on a project basis. Uh, So having shared channels is a good way to facilitate processes between those teams and to improve transparency. So the bot could actually help the enterprise become more productive uh, with these shared channels.
1: So does this include uh, like contractors or, uh, you know, third party agencies as well? Or are you just interacting with employee to employees?
2: This product is for internal teams communicating internally.
0: Uh, Let's talk about some of um, the, the kinds of dynamics that bot developers should be aware of in in an installation this huge, uh, you know, with a smaller installation, bot developers might be kind of casual about who has access to the bot or, or where you find the bot or how you call on the bot. Have you developed some sort of best practices or some frameworks for thinking about how bots should interact with people in environments that have, as you say, up to 500,000 people?
2: So there's uh, general best practices which uh, become more uh, important and in, in big teams like don't dm everyone
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: that's the easiest way to get the person who installed the bot fired uh, <laughs> especially in, in extremely big teams so so you're um, already
0: incorporating a kind of uh enterprise level cover your ass uh <laughs> best practice there exactly so
2: please don't dm everyone there's uh, thoughtful onboarding is super important in enterprises mm-hmm. it's important everywhere i think thoughtful onboarding is one of the keys to having a successful bot but having that uh, as an, uh, an element in an enterprise installation is even more important. So mm-hmm. have the bot DM the person who installed the bot and say, hey, thank you for inviting me to the team. Please invite me to the right channels so I can introduce myself. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Then, and then the bot is added to those channels and, um, and acclimates himself into the, uh, into the team. Uh, so think about how would you add someone who's a human to a Slack channel, right? Mm-hmm. You need to follow the same pattern when you work uh, with a bot in an enterprise.
0: It's an invitation process, and it's kind of a, there's like an announcement to the team and exactly. a process of introduction.
2: And a training. So you, you should think about how do I get a new person in my team? So let's say, uh, let's say I have a legal bot. Mm-hmm. I would actually go and interview someone from legal to see how do they introduce someone from their team.
3: Mm-hmm, hmm
2: so when you get in your, when you add a new legal assistant to a team, how would you introduce them to get everybody to know how they're working? Uh, so if I were to build a legal bot, I would actually follow the same process of adding a human.
1: What's the right protocol then if someone has a bot and they have a sub team within an enterprise using the bot? Is the protocol to get the admin of that team to reach out to other people on the team? It sounds like organically in those shared channels, the bot could already be interacting with other third part, other users in the enterprise.
2: So I would say that in enterprises, we see more control being given to the admin. Mm-hmm. So most of the apps that are gonna be installed in enterprise are gonna be installed by the admin uh, or by like the HR admin or by the mm-hmm. marketing admin. So it could be multiple admins. Um, but the key is to use the first person who installed a bot as an advocate for your bot.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's
2: the hi- he's the hiring manager, so so to speak, right? Mm. So he invited the bot in, and he should introduce the bot to the org. Um, this is the pattern that humans use, and I think bots are using the same pattern that humans use because they're joining a human environment. So I would follow the same pattern.
0: Hmm. You know, we we uh, the bot community in general rings its hands a lot over uh, the progress the the process of uh, bot discovery. Right. And, and uh, being able to find bots. Do we need a bot store? Do we like an app store? How do we search for them? How do we sort of implement them? Um, the enterprise environment really turns that on its head. It's enterprise. Uh, the, the kinds of administrators you're talking about aren't going to sort of scroll through a bot store and decide that something looks fun. They're going to kind of like take a recommendation. They're going to uh, maybe have something suggested to them by their ERP vendor implement it I've heard from a lot of people who who say uh, and and I've even had some of this experience myself on a few of the slack channels that I'm that I'm on um you know I, I'd love to experiment more with bots I'd love to put them in but I emailed my it department and they wrote back four days later and they were like uh we we are declining your request to add this bot because it does not meet the um you know the standards memorandum that we have for uh, <laughs> installing bots in our slack instance
2: so first of all, I'm sorry to hear that, and I could talk to these guys <laughs> if you like. I think we added the feature that, that helps a little bit with that, so you can actually go into the app directory, and even if you don't have access to, re- to install the bot, you can click on request, mm-hmm. and that kicks a request process to the person who has admin rights.
0: Oh, nice, um, so you don't have to dig through
2: your org chart and figure out who it is. Exactly, exactly. And I think the other the other way of looking at it is that admins will invite bots based on actual value and need to the team. Mm-hmm. So they'll know they'll hear from the uh, marketing team that they need stats bot because they need statistic uh, and analytics, right? right? Right. So so once you're vetted and once you're a part of the enterprise, it's a it's a sweet deal because. Um, enterprise don't tend to change their software a lot. Mm-hmm. So you get more attention and possibly, as you said, more engagement from that audience.
0: It's an interesting twist on, on the BYO technology because you're you're not strictly free of the, of the restrictions that your IT department puts on what you're allowed to use, uh, but you have some leeway to kind of suggest things. And probably you're going to start to suggest and implement things that are useful to sort of your application and, and, and your immediate need.
2: Exactly. And there's also, because it's uh, HIPAA and Fenra, it works with HIPAA and Fenra, there's interesting use cases. As you said, compliance is super important. There's interesting use cases that uh, bot developers could look at as, as an opportunity.
1: So, Amir, one of the th- other things that was uh, mentioned leading up to the enterprise grid announcement was uh, the release of threads on Slack, and it's a particular type of implementation of threading unique to the Slack platform. And it was interesting when I when I saw it come out. Um, I'm doing a lot less blogging these days, mostly tweeting. <laughs> but my my reaction, my initial reaction, was. This, I actually think a lot of humans were clamoring for threading in Slack, but I think this would, this looks like it might be even more interesting for bots because some of the things we've talked about on the bot podcast around UX with bots and difficulty in group settings is, for example, interruption of a group conversation, right? So we have three people on this podcast where we can manage talking when you have you know, 40 people in a channel, conversations can step over each other. And especially with a chatty bot, that's one of the things bot developers have to worry about. Um, So how do you think threads, you wrote a post on this, how how do you think threads will help with that bot UX problem?
2: Yeah, so first of all, I was surprised as you were. We were thinking that this is a great feature for consumers and we thought, hey, developers would maybe like it. Um, They need to understand that there's additional uh, API uh, features And we, we didn't think that there's going to be like a, a, such an excitement so the article that I wrote I should have written a week before mm-hmm. right I should have mm-hmm. anticipated the excitement and and the use cases that developers are so I wrote um, this article in hindsight and I'm not as smart as I appear to be in that in that article. <laughs> um, I think the key, what the learning we had from the first week of using uh, threads and bots is that um, there's an interesting use case with bots uh, uh, on threads, which is you can have the non-intrusiveness that you would want to have Mm -hmm. uh, in interactions. So the bot could use the replies as a way to create multiple conversations which are not intrusive. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you have a HR channel and you have an HR bot that answers multiple people, things like anything from what is our vacation uh, policy to can I expense a giraffe, right? Mm -hmm. And the bot could go and answer each of these in a reply, in a thread. So the conversations becomes much clearer and much more succinct. Another use case that I uh, looked at is like if we had a bot um, that, has, that has a CRM bot mm-hmm. that aug- that augments a uh, sales channel uh, with data about uh, the, the client that we're conversing. So we're talking about a big client and the bot could add uh, augmented uh, data from the CRM. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Once, one, once the bot is doing that in, in threads, it doesn't break the conversation, it actually augments the conversation with the thread interface. Uh, so it's it's like a nicer, easier way. And the last, um, can I talk about the last, yeah, last yeah, one? Yeah. The, the last part is um, actually Ben Brown from BotKit raised that to me in a, um, in a chat. And he said that uh, bots get a new canvas. So if you look at the threads, the threads UI, as they implement, provide developer with a new real estate. So you can have your own real estate in the reply. So let's say we're talking about tasks mm-hmm. uh, and you have a task bot. So the task bot could actually start uh, a conversation in a thread around settings for this task. Mm-hmm. So it has its own unique canvas that happens in the thread. And that's pretty delightful for developers because they get a new real estate inside the user experience of Slack
1: so that's all searchable and indexed that's the distinction between what existed before in bots and direct messages is that correct
2: yes it's search it's searchable it's indexed it could happen in private channel and private and pri- public channels and it's it starts a new thread and a new process where the bot needs to to like fork the conversation.
0: It makes me think of like how uh, a lot of companies use Twitter for customer service. And if you look at uh, now, Twitter has has you know introduced this kind of featured view for uh, for certain commercial accounts that lets you just see the tweets that they want you to see. But if you go and you look at like United Airlines Twitter account and click over to the um, tweets and replies <laughs> tab, it's just <laughs> like it's just like twenty tweets a minute of. Um, you know, at replies to people. Oh, sorry about United flight 118. Please DM us. (laughs) sorry about united flight 247 please dm us you know um sorry you're delayed please dm us uh so it's 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 uh right it's noisy i mean part of the promise of bots is that they can offer this highly personalized service but if you do it in the undifferentiated chat room it, it gets uh you know mm-hmm. really cumbersome for everyone else who's there
2: yeah and the alternative is pretty delightful right i asked a question in the hr uh, channel mm-hmm. the bot answered that in a thread mm-hmm. nobody needs to know unless they want to know the answer. So they go into that question, they click on that uh, reply, and they get the answer from the bot. So you still have the transparency that you would expect from from Slack without the, the noise that could be associated with the bot replying in channel
0: for every question. Right, right. So explain, go a little bit deeper into the Canvas uh, feature that you mentioned. So this is uh, in a conversation with a bot, in a threaded conversation with a bot, the bot is given added access to the thread?
2: So when you click on the reply, a window opens on the right-hand side, which shows the reply itself. Yeah. Think of it as a new place where bots boss could actually have their, um, their buttons uh, associated with that conversation. Uh, they could have a message there that says, hey, would you like to turn this message into a task, for example? Mm-hmm. So you can actually get the configuration and the setup of different workflows starting from that thread so up until now bots could have done could have been in a conversation and could have asked you in a conversation what would you like to do would you like to do this or would you like to do that now the bots could be in in a in a, in a separate window which is totally dedicated to th- that thread mm-hmm. and to and to provide actions that are in this unique real estate got it
0: got it Now to go back to one of the features of the grid that you mentioned, uh, Enterprise Grid has compliance options for HIPAA, which is the uh, healthcare data um, sort of handling law, and uh, FINRA, which has to do with financial data. How do bots deal with HIPAA and FINRA? Do you need to, if you're a bot developer and you want to touch health data, do you need to get yourself certified as HIPAA compliant somehow? Uh, And do you need to get yourself certified in order to access that stuff through Slack? Is Slack putting up some sort of certification barrier?
2: So we're not doing a certification barrier. But if the organization that uses Slack is HIPAA or FINRA compliant, they will check the bots that are that they install to make sure that they're uh, HIPAA or FINRA compliant. So you will need to, if you're usually when you're trying to tackle these use cases, you know what to do in order to be HIPAA or FINRA compliant. But up until now, you couldn't have done that through Slack mm-hmm. because the barrier or the, uh, the platform wasn't supporting these uh, these protocols. So now that you now that we support these uh standards, you can have your bots support those as well.
1: Got it. so everyone can hop inside the the fence exactly so that leads to another question actually so for bot developers out there listening to the podcast, getting into a large enterprise isn't always the easiest thing so how how can they test and develop bots uh, for the enterprise what's the what's your advice on uh testing some of these new slack features if they aren't already um, a vendor for a fortune 500 company
2: so there's a few options one of them is that uh, we worked with uh bot kit and slap and pull string these are like three uh, frameworks for bots to to work well with enterprise so if you're building on top of these frameworks you're pretty much done there there might be some interesting use cases but uh, we work with these uh, frameworks to make it um, very easy for you to build for enterprise. Um, then we updated our documentation. Uh, so you can look at what are the edge cases that you need to address to make sure that you address them well. And then if you actually want to test on an enterprise instance, we have a form uh, and we work with partners to set up a sandbox uh, for, uh, for enterprise. It's a little bit uh, manual because you need, sing- you need to connect to single sign-on and we need to set you up with, uh, with all the edge cases. Mm -hmm. Um, but we do that, uh, we evaluate requests, uh, to send up, uh, sandboxes.
0: Are you finding that the biggest demand from bot makers is coming from kind of the, the new bot products attached to existing enterprise products? Like for instance, you mentioned Concur, uh, which is an SAP service for expense accounts. Uh, and, and Concur was present at the product announcement last week is, is more of the demand coming from companies like that or from startups that want to reach the enterprise?
2: So I think both. I think uh, big enterprise software wants to uh, jump on this opportunity to have a, a delightful experience for their for their users. But there's also a big big opportunity for startups. If you look at uh, every revolution like this, and you look at companies that were created using these revolutions, the the opportunity is amazing, right? Mm-hmm. Salesforce came came and said, "Hey, CRM doesn't need to be on Win32." Mm-hmm. CRM could be on the web, and everybody said, no, that can't be true. <laughs> um, and now when they're one of the biggest companies in uh-huh. the Valley, right? Uh-huh. So if you look at these opportunities, I think there's a big opportunity to say, for someone to say, hey, this could be done using bots. And everybody will tell them, hey, you're, you don't know what you're talking about, but they will prove everyone wrong and build the next big company on top of that.
0: Yeah, Amir, that reminds me of this uh, graphic that's been passed around a lot in the last couple of weeks by a guy named uh, Eric Stromberg called the Startup Idea Matrix. And what he's done is he's taken in the rows, he has different kinds of activities like, you know, shopping, gaming, travel, uh, fashion, sports, and so on. And then in the columns, he has different ways that people have built new digital businesses around these by extending them in some respect. You can, you know, bring an offline behavior online or, you know, aggregate the the long tail and um, and drive discovery, turn it into a subscription service and so on. Basically, what you're describing is the addition of a new column to to everyone's kind of mental chart like this turn it into a bot. So previously it was like, put it on the cloud. And that's what, if you have the the CRM row, you have Salesforce, Salesforce is the one that put it on the cloud. Um, there's an empty box right now for put it into a bot
2: exactly i think i think entrepreneurship is very much like wave surfing mm-hmm. and each of these columns are actually like a wave a swirl that comes through i just mm-hmm. came from santa cruz so i might have this metal <laughs> model in my head <laughs> um, but if you think about like a new column a new wave that's coming up that's going to be very exciting for a lot of entrepreneur surfers is this bot um and then going to create a lot of uh option for velocity and, and, and speed
0: right you just have to avoid getting harassed by the uh the sea otter of long enterprise sales cycles or something like that let's see how far we can extend the metaphor yeah
2: and you can start with small uh companies and i think that's the magic of of slag you can start with small companies and then you can move to big
1: enterprises right right so amir um it was it was great. So we, uh, John and I, both saw you at that uh, launch event. It was uh, really great, uh, a great event, um, and it was interesting. So a lot of the bot community was actually there. So Ben Brown from Howdy, um, uh, Dennis Yang, a bunch of our uh, people who've been on the podcast actually. <laughs> um, and so one of the, one of the other interesting things, I like you. You're you're actually one of the key people in the bot community. And you've been involved in organizing a number of bot events and speaking um, and so now you you're you you're you're also working on this book um, this new O'Reilly book um, could you tell us a little bit about that and you know it feels like you're you're giving back and I want to want to understand uh, you know what what the message is of the book and what what you think how it'll help people
2: the book is about designing um, conversational interfaces not just for slack but also for kick and also for Facebook so how do you design bots for Consumer use cases and for business use cases, and it focuses on the design aspect. Uh, so it's a book for product managers and designers to think about how do they design a conversation. And again, a conversation is a broad term here because the key is that uh, bots are a combination of conversation, a plain text conversation, and rich interactions. So I cover all the options about what are the options that are available for bot designers. Uh, And we actually go through the theory and then through an exercise of designing uh, B2B
0: bots on Slack and a B two C uh, bot on Facebook. Do you feel that at this point the design considerations of uh, you know designing conversations are are pretty stable, or uh, or is this a field that's just evolving incredibly rapidly? And you've already like ripped out the first three chapters you wrote and re- rewrote them because a quarter ago the the state of the art was totally different.
2: So parts of the book are t- as as stable as can be. If you look at human mm. conversation, it's has been there for one hundred and sixty thousand years. <laughs> so the, the basic, the baseline is pretty solid, right? The way we do conversation, which is, uh, we respond to each other. We don't ignore each other. Uh, we have context we have memory, Uh, we have patterns where I don't understand what you're saying. And what should I do when I don't understand what you're saying? So there's certain patterns, which unless humanity changes very rapidly, will never change uh, in the next 10s of years, right? Mm -hmm. Um, On the other side, there's all these rich interactions. And that's where things are very dynamic. So should we use buttons? Should we use can response? Should we use videos? And I cover all these uh, different aspects uh, in anticipation for new things. And I already know uh, about new things that are coming soon on multiple platforms. Um, so I guess it's a matter of job security. I'll get the V2 of this book <laughs> to be written next year. Um, and, and I think that's true for every every evolution, right? Uh, V1 of Android and iOS wasn't the same as V2 of Android and iOS. right? Um, and that's what's exciting, at least for me as a geek uh, engineer at the end of the day.
0: Right, right. You, you spoke a little bit about uh, some of these design considerations at uh at bot day uh, which was the the event that Pete and I put together last fall and a lot and of awesome your... events oh well thank you um, if, if I, if I don't say so myself, um, <laughs> the, uh, a lot of the considerations that you mentioned there are are basically kind of humane considerations. The ones that you just mentioned, you know, responding to people. I think one of your big pieces of advice was to test out the conversation sort of in, in a live setting before you even bother to start, uh, typing it into the computer. Right.
2: Yeah, totally. I th- there's an, there's an interesting design pattern with, uh, usability testing Called the Wizard of Oz, hmm. which is to have humans mimic the machine interaction. So it's it's been used in many many ways. It's been it's been used to try to fake the Turing test and other mm-hmm. uh, in other ways in computer science. But for bots, the Wizard of Oz is super super useful because you can actually do the Wizard of Oz very easily in a conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, unless you're using a lot of buttons and rich interaction, and even then, you can like a little bit fake it until you make it. Mm-hmm. You can have a lot of the conversation. In, in channel. And actually, I showed that in the book. I actually, in order to, to test the first ideas, I just pinged friends on, Google, uh, sorry, on Facebook Messenger mm-hmm. and asked them the conversation, actually had the conversation that the bot would have with them mm-hmm. and saw the response and saw that a lot of edge cases arose and right. a lot of things uh, I got from them that I didn't expect to get. Mm-hmm. Um, simple things like they said, thank you, and I need to take that into account and like uh, acknowledge that Mm -hmm. all the way for them not understanding a few of the things that I planned in my initial prototyping. So humans are your target audience and it's really easy to use conversation to prototype uh, bot interactions.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of something that Dennis Mortensen mentioned when uh, when we had him on the program and talked about x.ai with the, the scheduling bot and he mentioned the difficulty of discovering all of the edge cases in which people refer to times uh, without actually wanting some action taken. So they'll, they'll say like, uh, have a great evening, have a great weekend, stuff like that yeah. to the bot. Uh, and you have to, you'll only learn these things by examining yeah. a lot of real human interactions.
2: Interaction. I think that's, super. I, I have people send me thank you letter for Amy mm-hmm. and see seeing me as her, uh, virtual manager.
0: Mm-hmm, um,
3: mm-hmm.
2: so we see a lot of interesting use cases with bots. Uh, I think a lot of emotions, uh, arise from bots. So it's, uh, I, I'm sure all of us have sworn or cursed a uh, mobile app, mm-hmm. but, uh, with interactions with bots, you see a lot more emotions.
1: Right. Right. This is interesting, Mirror. I, you tend to focus a lot on, I guess, the, the emotional uh, engagement and the social interaction that bots have. And when you talk about design patterns, how, how have you thought about um, A- AI, right? So um, using AI for bots, uh, when is it working? When is it not working? Like, where, What do you think the state of conversational AI um, is and, and where is it falling down for bots right now?
2: That's a very interesting question. And I talk about it in the book. I I recognize two types of conversation. You have the topical conversation and you have the task-led conversation. Task-led conversation is about getting things done, right? You want to achieve a task. And there, the conversation needs to be as short as possible. And you should probably use as many rich interactions to to circumvent lengthy conversations. So I would use uh, less AI and more rich interaction in task-led conversation. When you want to get things done, think about what are the shortest, think of it as a funnel, as a sales funnel. What are the shortest amount of steps that you could do to get that task done? And it usually does not involve the lengthy conversation. The other one, which is a topical-led conversation, which is I'm trying to explore a topic. So I'm doing learning or I'm just chatting. There's a lot of like, what do I talk about, and a discovery of topics. Um, and there you'll need to use a lot of uh, of AI if you don't want to um, get very mixed up. And it's a much bigger challenge, uh, but it's it's nice because you can do a lot of association. So so let's say you have a bot that teaches you how to how to learn uh, French. Mm-hmm. Um, and you talk about, um, things, about things that you like to eat, about dishes that you like, uh, the conversation can move from there to actually like understand what, what cutlery is and what is a fork and what is a knife. So you can make interesting association and in topic led conversations, mm-hmm. uh, which if, if they're done well with AI could be very delightful. So the bot could say, Hey, remember we talked about, uh, Chinese food and how to say different Chinese food in French, Mm -hmm. let me tell you how to, how do you call chopsticks in French? Mm -hmm. And that's a a delightful association that the bot could do uh, that is very interesting in in topic led conversations.
1: So are you seeing um, more uh, of the interaction led bots right now, or uh, are are you seeing some bots with, with stronger AI components on Slack?
2: question is, do I see a lot of interesting AI use cases on Slack? Uh, so the answer is yes. Applications like StatsBot, like GrowBot, um, uh, Poncho uses AI. These are all uh, great bots that are actually, like, most of them are task-led bots, mm-hmm. but they use the AI in order to facilitate good conversation, productive conversation. So if you say to the StatsBot, hey, I want, you, all my, uh, I want to see all my users week over week Segmented by location, the AI could actually take that sentence and break it down to very useful uh, information for the developer. So AI could facilitate entity extraction and, and intent mapping uh, in a way that for a developer with not, that is not using AI, uh, it would be much, much more difficult. Um, I, I think one of the key problems with AI is that people don't understand that it's a tool set and not a single thing. AI mm-hmm. is image recognition it's sentiment analysis, it's entity extract, natural language understanding. Um, It's actually a set of tools and developers could use each of those tools uh, in different use cases. So you don't need to have natural language understanding in every bot, and you you don't need to have sentiment analysis in every bot and in mm-hmm. image recognition, but for example, in the use case of uh, Concours, uh where you upload receipts, image mm-hmm. recognition becomes much more interesting, mm-hmm. because the bot recognizes the receipts and actually add that to the expense, and that's a delightful process,
0: which is uh, changing a very cumbersome process. It's
1: like Shazam for receipts, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly,
0: exactly. Right, right, right. This is my receipt for uh, Journey. Yeah, the... Uh... <laughs> So i one of the interesting things that you see right now with the use of ai and bots is that it's it's most successful in the in the narrowest cases like sort of what you're what you're describing Amir where where it's like a very well defined task uh you know recognize the text in this receipt figure out how to classify the receipt um People are waiting for the kind of generalized AI, but it seems like there's still a lot of opportunities to do something very specialized and limited um, with AI. And that that at the moment, given the state of AI and the, the the distribution of expertise in deep learning, that seems like the most promising way to to provide a, a delightful experience.
2: And and I would say that maybe that's the case move, moving forward for eternity. If mm-hmm. you look at if you look at human behavior, we don't have a single person that does everything for you, mm-hmm. right? You have the Mm -hmm. travel agent and you have your finance team and you have your legal team and you have your, if you're, I don't know if a certain person, you have your shopping assistant, Mm -hmm. right? So you can have different assistances that help you with different aspects of your life and that will copy the pattern that we see today with humans and that's, that's okay. I don't know if we would like to have a bot that helps us with everything, because that's
0: a very different paradigm than our life today. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out in the enterprise in particular, where you do tend to see just a little bit more uh, consolidation, right, where you may have some Oracle system that is the back end to your online storefront and the, you know, your, um, your ERP platform and your finance and human resources planning, tool and it, it kind of because of the way these things are are sold through integrators they tend to just kind of get implemented and then expanded uh, gradually to handle as many different tasks as possible
1: land and expand
0: yeah right. that, exactly. that'll be slack of course right
1: amir
2: <laughs> so hopefully at the end of the day we'll power what makes sense and what will be good for our users but the key is that we want to facilitate workflows Mm-hmm, and if mm-hmm. these workflows make sense to be done in Slack, then that makes sense. I, for example, I can give you an example. I don't think that the workflow of generating an image using um like an image editor makes sense right now to do in Slack. That's a mm-hmm. that's a task that will will not happen in Slack. For the foreseeable future, mm-hmm. but approving uh, vacation reports is something that I want to do in Slack every day.
3: Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. want to
2: get like, hey, this person in your team wants to go on PTO. Please click here to finish the, the task, and I don't mm-hmm. need to go into any other third-party systems. Um, I think that that is where uh, bots will excel in small in in short workflows. That provide a lot of value.
0: Right, right. I mean, one one area of AI that's, uh, you know, a little beyond the scope of this discussion, but something that uh, people, um, you know, deep in the big corporate campuses down in the in the valley are thinking about is uh, how to use, you know, it's kind of ancillary to uh, like AI generated code or AI assisted programming, but kind of AI assisted um, system integration so that you avoid the kind of friction that I was just describing where You already have a giant Oracle or SAP thing. And so when you want to have a new vacation approval process, it winds up just being built on top of the old thing because that's how the kind of integration process works. Wouldn't it be great if in addition to the kind of small services loosely joined that you're describing that the user sees, you also had an easier process of, you know, implementing these things and integrating them so that some startup comes up with a great uh, vacation approval mechanism and it's... uh, with a few clicks, integrate it with Oracle or SAP or ADP, you know, or, or whatever the kind of back end system is, and then walk away and it works. I think that's the, that's might be one of the big challenges to the kind of big land and expand, uh, you know, ERP systems.
2: Totally, totally. And it's not just in the enterprise use cases, like collaboration and uh, orchestration of services mm-hmm. is super important in, in, in consumer use cases as well. I'll give an example I just went I just uh, booked my flights to South by Southwest
3: mm-hmm.
2: and the in the sev- I had to like access several services I had to book my hotel and my flight and my car and everything like that um, if I could do all this all with a single service that provides me with all of these mm-hmm. and orchestrate all the services in the back, That would be a delightful experience. So I think as a community of bot builders, we need to start thinking about how can we work together and what is the core underlying infrastructure to orchestrate services and do uh, bot orchestration in the future.
0: Right, right. You need bots to manage your bots.
2: I'll have my bots talk to your bots. (laughs)
1: <laughs> and it's definitely still early days so as a side note we actually scheduled this uh podcast recording via how many bots were in that it felt like three. Oh. i think there were three bots and three humans right that's right yeah yep.
0: it was a mess Yeah. yeah <laughs> uh, it was an interesting experience to say the least
1: and interestingly, I, I think the bots didn't feel comfortable talking to each other was part of the problem, right? Or they didn't have permissions.
0: Yeah, I think we kind of uh, stretched the the affordances of these bots because two of us were using uh, X.ai and then Pete, to be contrarian, had Cortana, which has a new X.ai-like service, uh, jump in and represent him in the negotiations. And uh, <laughs> each of our bots kept writing back to us individually and saying like, hey, is it okay if I talk on your behalf to this other person um because what it looks like to cortana for instance who's pete's bot uh it it looks to cortana like i've added an unauthorized you know fourth yep. party to the conversation and cortana isn't sure that cortana should be listening to my unauthorized person and then x.ai on my side was doing exactly the same thing and going like who the hell is this cortana person <laughs> yeah cortana doesn't it's, really uh, seem to be a party it's
2: delegation of, of authority 101, uh-huh. right? Yeah. It's going to be interesting.
0: Cool.
1: Yeah, there's a great Star Trek clip uh, where uh, the Borg come into the, the bridge, and Picard has one of his underlings uh, take care of it, and he has one of his underlings take care of it. So it's <laughs> going to be like that. It's going to be delegation of authority all the way down with bots. You
0: right, right. Yeah,
2: Yeah. and there's interesting use cases of, like, what information could I share? And what, could, what can I do? What, what, what is the limit of my uh, authority here? So mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting. I, I believe that technology would help us here. And the, what we're experiencing now is the first, uh, first generation of bots. And we're going to see a lot more interesting and useful bots moving forward.
0: Right, right. I think it's, uh, there are still a lot of gaps in that matrix that I mentioned. So that's the big inspiration for small companies and large ones alike.
2: Yeah, I, I can share a story I, I heard from uh, Vince Cerf, who's one of the forefathers of the web. Mm-hmm. And he said that he saw one of the first versions of the mobile phone, and it was mm. so heavy that you couldn't hold it for more than uh, seven minutes. But that was okay <laughs> because the battery didn't last that long.
0: <laughs> That's awesome.
2: So this is, this is where bots are right now. But if you think about the opportunity of mobile, it was amazing. So I think I believe that this has a similar opportunity.
0: Right, right. Um, I have a similar anecdote that's very much a non sequitur, but worth considering for anyone dealing with uh, uh, sort of user interface. Um, Hillary Mason, who has appeared on this podcast uh, and and runs Fast Forward Labs in New York, mentioned once that uh, her office is near one of these big restaurant supply stores that are all over kind of the Lower East Side. And um, one of them has a display of, of restaurant chairs and the restaurant chairs are grouped They're categorized not by price or decor or materials, but by number of minutes, it's comfortable to sit in them. So this is the, you know, there's like a a 15 minute chair that's kind of like probably a stool, maybe doesn't have a back. And there's a 30 minute chair that's, you know, hard, but a little bit more comfortable. And there's a 60 minute chair that's way more comfortable. And basically, this is this this um, subtle design feature of restaurants you know, cause an essential part of a restaurant's profitability is how quickly it can turn over tables and, and accept new customers. Uh, and so you're kind of like designing, designing in these features to encourage your customers to turn over and, and, uh, and move on. And that is the principal consideration for someone who's building out a restaurant and choosing chairs. That
2: sounds very, so we need to understand the new affordances of bots and what does a chair that has 15 minutes time, uh, lapse has to do with uh, like, how does that connect with the conversation and lengthen conversation, for example?
0: Right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a a bot could have, you know, pleasant, uh, pleasant conversations with someone that sort of get tiresome eventually, and you need to be able to listen for cues really effectively and sort of wrap things up. Cool. Well, um, Amir, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I encourage all the listeners to check out Amir's new O'Reilly book, uh, called Designing Bots, and you can look for the, the, the O'Reilly book with the Siberian Husky on the cover. It's also available, of course, through O'Reilly's uh, Safari subscription platform, uh, which is a great way to to learn about bots, natural language design, everything that O'Reilly has ever published about. But as soon as you sign up, go and find Amir's book <laughs> there. And uh, uh almost said, go and, go and find Amir's bot there. You can probably find Amir's <laughs> bots all over the place. Or uh, look for Designing Bots wherever books are sold. So uh, Amir, if listeners want to find you online, where should they look?
2: Um, I'm very active on most of the social networks. Um, There's there's two places that I recommend. One of them is Twitter. Of course, I'm a shavat a s h e v a t at Twitter, and also Dev for Slack. Uh, They could ping me there. That's the Slack developer community. I'm super happy to help. And they should probably join Botness and uh, our community.
0: Oh yeah, we have some cool stuff coming out uh, from Botness in the next. few weeks, some new projects. Amir and I are both on kind of the steering committee for botanists and, and we're preparing a couple of studies over the next few months to kind of help standardize the community around a few design affordances and ways to help users understand how to use bots. So thank you so much, Amir. It's been wonderful to talk with you. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Now, just a couple of reminders for the listeners before we wrap up. O'Reilly's AI conference is coming back to New York this spring. June 26 to 29. Check out the program and be sure to register now for the best price. Also, do go ahead and check out Amir's book on O'Reilly's online platform, Safari. Safari also includes the rest of the entire O'Reilly catalog, all of our books, all of our videos, a growing number of interactive tutorials, and you can try it for free for 10 days at o'reilly.com. Also, also, if you want to hear Pete speak, he's leading a great panel at AI by the Bay on March 8. Here in San Francisco. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, do us a favor and visit iTunes or SoundCloud or Google Play, wherever you listen to podcasts, and uh, leave us a review. We'd love to know what you think. For the O'Reilly Bots Podcast, I'm John Brunner. And I'm Pete Scomero.